Welcome to the Friends Ben Pace podcast. My name is Josh Plotkin. I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Nurse Practitioner Associates for Continuing Education, better known as NPACE. NPACE is a nonprofit continuing education organization founded in 1980 by a group of nurse practitioners looking to help advance the profession and bring nurse practitioners from across the country together for education and connection. NPACE is an ANCC accredited provider of continuing education, offering in-person CE conferences and online CE programs for nurse practitioners. We welcome you to visit NPACE.org for more information on everything NPACE. We're excited that you've chosen to tune into our converse, conversation today with Wendy Wright. And before we introduce Wendy, we want to remind our audience that wherever you may get your podcast, to please subscribe, rate, and leave comments and reviews. The Friends of NPACE podcast can be found on the NPACE Learning Center, which is learn.npace.org, on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce Wendy Wright, who's joining us today. And Wendy received her Doctor of Nursing Practice in 2019 from the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, Roll Tide. She is a 1992 graduate of the Adult Primary Care NP program at Simmons College in Boston and completed a Family Nurse Practitioner Postmasters program in 1995. She's an adult and family nurse practitioner and the owner and uh, sorry, the owner of two nurse practitioner clinics within New Hampshire named Wright and Associates Family Healthcare. Her family practices have won numerous awards, including top providers in New Hampshire top 20 fastest growing family business and top 20 women-owned business in New Hampshire. In addition, she is the owner of Partners in Healthcare Education, a medical education company. She is the past president of the NPACE Board of Directors and also speaks for several other organizations and advises many, many organizations as well. Wendy, how are you doing today? It's so great to have you with us. We can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Josh, it's great to chat with you as well. And thank you to everyone who's tuning in today. I think we're going to have a great conversation. Absolutely. And really, we have Wendy with us today to talk about how her career has evolved as a nurse practitioner and give some tips to folks in terms of um, how she's evolved as a nurse practitioner over the course of her career. And without further ado, Wendy, I'd love to start off with how you became interested in becoming a nurse practitioner and then how that eventually evolved into your ties to NPACE and what a little bit of your history with NPACE is. Sure. So Josh, I can't remember a time in my life that I didn't want to be a nurse. Uh, I've known since I was a little girl. I think I told my mom when I was four that I was going to be a nurse. My great grandma was a nurse. So, uh, but I also knew that the nurse, that the RN role for me was just a stepping stone because I was just, I was as a child taken care of by a nurse practitioner and a physician assistant. So at a very early age, I was exposed to this role and I knew that it was exactly what I wanted to do. So, and there was no changing for me. So when I got my bachelor's in nursing, I worked for a year and a half as an ICU nurse. Back when I became an NP, the rule was you had to be an RN for a minimum of two years. Well, I was pretty fortunate in Dr. Fitzgerald was actually the person who interviewed me at Simmons 
University in Boston, and I pleaded with her to let me come back into the program at a year and a half on the condition that I would continue to work as a nurse as I went through the program. So one thing led to another. She was my faculty person uh, for my adult uh, degree and then was my family nurse practitioner professor as well at Simmons University. And she happened to be on, on the NPACE board of directors. And so after I graduated, she invited me to uh, interview for a position on the NPACE board of directors. I think that that was somewhere around 1994 or 95. And I did that and then eventually assumed the role of president when Dr. Mimi Secor went to Alaska. She was the president at the time. So I took over in that role. And so in some capacity, I was thinking about this today in preparation for this. I have actually been associated with NPACE. We're coming up on almost three decades, which is really amazing to have a history with an organization like that. It's it's absolutely amazing, and I I I think it's it's been incredible to see in my time at NPACE how you've interacted with the organization and and how much of an influence that you've had, um, and it's fantastic that Dr. Fitzgerald was able to open some doors to NPACE, and um, you know you still have. A, a lot of involvement, even though you're not on the board anymore with NPACE. I did a little bit of preparation and homework beforehand and, and came up with some Wendy stats, if you will. So Wendy has over 26 courses on learn.npace.org across multiple therapeutic areas that you can learn from her from. She's done 12 in-person courses over the course of this year at all of our in-person conferences and she has a few more upcoming in Cape Cod, uh, which is taking place October 16th through 19th. This episode will be likely released after that, but you will be with us in Cape Cod. And then again in Phoenix uh, in the middle of November, November 9th through the 12th, you have a few programs going on there. So Wendy is a frequent flyer, if you will, at NPACE conferences and is a part of most of the events that we do throughout the course of the year and certainly stay tuned for our 2024 conference agendas as i know wendy's name will be appearing on those as well so wendy we uh, are very excited for all of the work that you've done with npace previously and and what you continue to do with us in the future it's it's been an amazing relationship between yourself and the organization and we're it sounds like we're going to have to have a celebration on three decades <laughs> in the next few I, years absolutely and you know what josh it's truly my pleasure it's an organization that i believe in wholeheartedly because if i didn't i wouldn't uh, i wouldn't be associated with it but i really love the boutique conferences that you offer i love the fact that people have the opportunity to interact with every speaker you know, sit and have lunch with speakers, sit out on the beach at Cape Cod with the speakers. I think that that brings so much value. And I know it did to my career. And I know that NPACE has helped to shape the course of my career. I don't know if you know this, Josh, and I don't know if I've ever told you, but my speaking career actually began at NPACE when I was nominated, when I was president to actually give my first lecture. I had never given a lecture on a national stage. I'd, I had been teaching in at Simmons, but never on a national stage. And this was such a cool thing that happened in that 
a, a pharmaceutical company gave NPACE a grant to take NP speakers who were experienced speakers and pair them with novice NPs. And those experienced NPs then served as our mentor. And we had a speaker coach. We spent four days, I think it was at the Park Plaza in Boston, locked in a room. These <laughs> national NPs like Mimi and um, Dr. Fitzgerald critiquing us. And I thought when I left there, if I can survive this, I can survive anything. And that is truly how my speaking career. Be so I really owe my career, a lot of my career to NPACE. Wow, I, I did not know that in, in all the conversations that we've had. That's that's absolutely amazing to know that NPACE was uh, sort of the, the starting point for your speaking career and, and what's evolved into it, an absolutely tremendous career with speaking. Um, so now that we know sort of how you broke into the, the speaking world uh, at all the different nurse practitioner events and conferences, what sort of uh, other doors have opened for you to in terms of speaking? And then what's also motivated you to start your own clinic and business um and in the balance that you have between your speaking engagements and in owning and operating your own business up in new hampshire so i've always been an entrepreneur at heart i was i think 11 years of age riding my bicycle around the neighborhood selling one dollar a box christmas cards to people i have i i remember as a child digging mudworms i was about six or seven and i dug up mudworms at my grandma's house and sold them a dollar a dozen to people who were fishing so let me tell you i've kind of done it all in the entrepreneurial world but what happened with my speaking is one person would hear me and say will you come to our state and then it just kind of built from there. But I continued over uh, a bunch of years to continue to get support with, you know, my speaker training coach, Eleanor Lopez, who is a friend of NPACE as well. She really taught me a lot about how it is that you speak. But what I also did was I marketed myself to different pharma companies in terms of when like, I knew medication or was doing or treating patients, for instance, diabetes or hypertension market myself to some of the representatives and and uh i was very fortunate to get under the wing of some of the nation's largest pharma companies who really provided me with opportunity in that regard as well but in terms of opening my own clinic i'll be very honest with you it was nothing i ever really wanted to do i i had an amazing job working with a physician i was job sharing with another friend of NPACE, dr susan feeney she was my partner and uh by the way susan feeney and i met and i interviewed her from an NPACE conference i posted an ad at NPACE. so dr feeney and i have now been friends for 30 years and her career started at NPACE as well which i just think funny and so you know coincidental but in any event i um i was just growing increasingly tired of being asked to do more see more patients there was never any um there was never any money for any raises and honestly i i really didn't need the money from primary care practice anyways it was kind of like my I always called it my charitable contribution to the community 
because I wasn't making much money, but it was a feeder for me, right? Patients give us good stories. And those stories became things that I could talk about and teach from. And then I could take my presence on the national stage and hearing other speakers back to my clinic. And it was really kind of this great, you know, it was this great paradigm for me. The patients taught me a lot, but other specialists taught me a lot as well. And I could merge all those together. But what happened was I there were some things that happened in the clinic that ethically I just could not look beyond. And so I gave my resignation, having no idea where I was and what I was going to do. And my sister was running a surgical center for a group of urologists. And she said, I have the best idea. I think what we should do is just open up a family practice together. I'll work for you. You'll pay for everything. And <laughs> think of how great it'll be. You know, you are the older sister. It's your job to you know, pay for everything. And that's how it began. And truly six weeks later, that is in fact what we did. And when I tell you people believed in us, people, I can't even, I cannot even believe what companies like insurance companies did to get me credentialed quickly, supply chains from my landlord who said, pay me what you think you can pay me. I have every ounce of belief in you. You're going to be successful and I'll be able to charge fair rate on your rent, but tell me what you think you can afford. And he then went on to offer me the building we're in and he said, name your price. Tell me what you want to pay me for the building. I mean, truly at every, I feel like it was meant to be. And every time I turned around, another door would open. And today I have 12 nurse practitioners that work alongside me in the clinic. Up until October of last year, I did own two clinics. I did sell one off. So I now only own one, but we have about 6,500 primary care patients and 12 nurse practitioners and 31 that work in this primary care clinic. Uh, I probably wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for my sister. I mortgaged my home to be able to open up this clinic. I really cried that day. I was, met with the banker because I was so scared that it wouldn't work, but it did. I'm not afraid of hard work. I and for me, I will work seven days a week to have security and to be successful. However, I define or you define success. For me, I wanted to be able to give patients the best care that they could get in New Hampshire. And I wanted it to I wanted it to be a showcase for what nurse practitioner practices can and do and should look like. And I think we fulfilled that mission. I'm excited to report that we just won best medical office in Southern New Hampshire for 2023 and two of the nurse practitioners won best family practice practitioner. So it uh, it was really it's really great to give these NPs a great place to practice. So that's kind of how it began for me. Uh, absolutely spectacular to just hear how all of that evolved over the course of time and how you how the, the different doors opened and not not being afraid to enter into the unknown and and uh, just hearing about the the folks that you worked with on the building and and sort of that name your price I'm I'm sure it worked out for everybody um, as you got started and it obviously with everything we just heard you are one of the busiest people I think that I know in in my professional and personal life and what i'd love to know is how do you how do you balance the clinic that you own and operate and work alongside with those dozen nurse practitioners and 6500 patients the 
various speaking engagements, being on a plane, I don't know, three, four times a week at, at certain times, maybe not being home for two to three, four weeks at a time. Uh, all of the work that you do with some of the uh, pharmaceutical and medical education companies, where where do you find that balance? What sort of uh, grounds you in being able to keep up with Wendy's world, if you will, and the, all the different engagements that you have across all of these different organizations and, and certainly your own that you own and operate as well? I think that first and foremost, when people ask me, how do you have a work-life balance? I say, what the heck is that? I don't have a work-life balance, but here's the thing about me. One is that my career and my work is me. It's everything I ever wanted to be. I love the work that I do. I love a part of the community and I, I love almost everything about the work that I do. I also know that it takes a village and, you know, I used to always kind of march around and say, you can have it all, but the reality is you can't have it all. As a, as a mom, as a wife, I've had to make sacrifices and I've had to choose the path that I thought was best for me as well as my family. And there are sacrifices that I've had to make, um, but I've also come, Josh, from very poor parents. We lived in a trailer park growing up. There were times where I would do my parents' checkbook and I knew that they had $10 left in the month to last 10 days. And I honestly didn't know where food was going to come from. So for me, everything we ha I have earned, everything we have developed together, my husband, myself, my son, my sister, to me, it's it, I'm so blessed and so grateful. And people always say, you know, you're such a hard worker. Well, so are a lot of people. I just happen to have been at the right place at the right time. Dr. Ford always says, luck comes to those who are prepared, right? Good fortune comes to those who are prepared. And I feel like for me, when people say, what's your secret to success? My secret is don't say no. Say yes and figure out how to do it later. And, that, and that's what I've done. And so um, I, I'm pretty lucky. I navigate my own life. I see patients 28 hours a week now. I don't do 40 hours a week anymore, uh, but I have a team. My sister runs my clinic. My husband does our IT, and I have people who are smarter at their jobs than I am at their jobs. So I rely on a village. I'm not a micromanager. I don't want to be, and I don't want to run the day-to-day -day operations of the clinic. I want to be the think tank of, I want us to move our clinics into that next decade and I want to be the captain of the ship, but not the micromanager of the day-to-day -day functioning. So that's how I do it all. I have a really big village, and I have a lot of people who have also made sacrifices, such as my husband and my son, because I couldn't be there for everything. I couldn't watch every one of my son's soccer games. But as I said to him, mom's happy, and I think that happy um I think it's important, but I also, he knew that when I was home, that there wasn't anything I wouldn't do to be present with him when I was able to be home. That that absolutely incredible in terms of the people that are around you to help support you through all the different engagements that you have. Um, and especially at the clinic, the, to know that your family is right alongside it, it is truly 
the right family clinic, if you will. Um, and you talked you talked a little bit about your your childhood. And if I know that you have a book called Breaking the Cycle, Hope, Resilience and Gratitude. Can you talk a little bit about uh, that book and, and just what folks who may be interested in in reading your book, uh, where they can find that and, and maybe just a, a little bit of background on what the book is about? So thank you for asking. It is called Breaking the Cycle. I wrote it with my childhood friend. Uh, her name is Christine Beckwith, and she lived in a trailer park adjacent to ours. We rode the school bus together. Uh, she was friends more with my sister. They were in the same grade, but I knew of her. And we met up after 20 years of being of having graduated from high school when we both were back giving scholarships to high school students who were graduating from a our high school you know it was it was just so ironic and when we started to chat our lives so parallel you know we both grew up pretty poor we both grew up in the trailer parks but she had really made a successful speaking career in the world of banking and mortgage and i had made a successful career in the world of you know np education and it was just so fascinating we met up we bo we both said we should write a book on our lives and uh, so we met up, we drove up a restaurant in our town and we were both driving the same exact car. It was just so interesting. We both have one son. Our lives really led in parallel. What I love about the book is it's as honest and as raw as um, a look at my life as, as I could muster. And Christine did the same thing as well. And it really just talks about if you think about breaking the cycle, it's not just breaking the cycle of poverty, it's breaking the cycle of abuse. It's breaking the cycle of lots of different things, educational cycles as well. And I think Christine and I have done that. And we know so you can find that book on Amazon. It is an Amazon bestseller. Um, we were seventh right behind Michelle Obama when we launched our book uh, and her book. So you can find it on Amazon. It's called Breaking the Cycle, Beckwith and Wright. Amazing. I, I highly recommend folks who are listening to check that out on Amazon. It is it is a very affordable book as well. So um, something that folks should definitely look into to, to learn a little bit more about Wendy's background. And I'm sure that folks who do read will gather some some great insight and information in terms of how they can break the cycle and what your experience was like and, and what their takeaway is. Uh, from that, I think one one question that comes to mind with all of this is what when you do have time, which I know is not often, but when you do have time to take a break or take the foot off the gas pedal a little bit, what are what do you like to do outside of your your nurse practitioner world to help prevent burnout or fatigue or things that you enjoy doing with your family when you're not on the clock, if you will? So every December I take five weeks off and we go to our place in on we go to Marco Island in Florida and I literally drive across the bridge to go onto the island and I don't open up my laptop or work for five weeks. I am a voracious reader. I have a book in my hand at all times. I also am a runner and I like to buy. So those are the things that really keep me grounded. I love to spend time with my son. So once a week we have our family night where we all get together because he's now 26 and I don't see him very much. But those 
and family's really important to me. I love to travel. I have wanderlust, which is why I also think this kind of career of traveling fits in well with my personality because I love to see new places and meet new people. So that's what I do to decompress myself and to have some time off. And uh, but again, I'm pretty blessed in the life that I lead. And to me, work isn't work if you love what you do. It's it's part of who I am and it's it's part of my life. Absolutely. And and I've gotten to meet, I think, all of your your sister and, and your husband. And I think I've even met uh, your son as well, who are absolutely incredible. Yeah. Over over the course of, I think, eight years now that we've known each other. So um, to, to know that you get some time to be able to enjoy with them outside of the professional work is amazing and that you you do take the time uh you know for for those five weeks each year to really uh disconnect and and sort of sounds like you get a chance to recharge and come back into a new year sort of refreshed and ready to go so i you know i highly recommend that any anybody who has the opportunity to take a little bit of time for themselves even if it's just a day or two um to to have that mental reset and really focus on themselves to to come back to their professional lives or their personal lives and the the day-to-day things that they have that that those moments in time uh don't take them for granted they are uh much needed and in things that we can all benefit from so Absolutely. it's awesome awesome to hear that you get you do get a chance to do that um so we're get we're getting close to the end of of what we're what, what we had uh, on the topics to talk about Wendy and one of the things that I want to ask you about is it's sort of Wendy's wisdom and it's twofold. The first is what sort of tips that you have for nurse practitioners in practice in terms of how they uh, may be able to advance their degree if they're looking to do that. And so that's part one. In part two. I, I sometimes people ask me, am I a clinician or and I'm not a clinician. I've certainly learned a lot in, in being in this industry for eight years. But one of the questions that came to mind when we when we talked about having you on the podcast was how can a patient prepare to come into a visit with their healthcare provider and have it be the, the best sort of experience for the patient? Is there anything that you can think of that they could do? that they can get the most out of that 15 or 30 minute visit that they have when they come into the office and are able to meet with the provider that they're with. Let me start with that because every one to two years I post my my recommendations for optimizing a visit with your healthcare provider on social media. I also our uh, on our practice social media as well because there are a few things that I really believe can really make a visit much more uh, effective. First, patients need to arrive on time. And if they're new, or if there's going to be paperwork to fill out, don't come right at the hour when you're scheduled for your appointment. Come 10 or 15 minutes early. Why? So we can get your paperwork done. And two, so we can let you sit. So before we get you into the exam room, you have a minute to sit. So your blood pressure is not skyrocketing because you were driving 90 miles to get to your appointment. So plan and leave early. Come in with a list and prioritize that list of the four or five things that you want to make sure. That's how I start every visit. Tell me what's new and what I need to know about that you want me to address every single visit. 
And so have that list available. Now we may not be able to get through all of them, but we can at least pick away at many of them and set up a plan to continue to chip away. But don't be afraid to say, I am worried about X, Y, and Z, or I have a question for you. And then what I do is every patient that leaves, I give them what I call my love note, where I write the top five, 10 things that we've talked about at that visit handwriting with little check boxes, get your labs, get your mammogram. And my patients bring that back at the next visit and they'll say, look, I've checked off this checkbox, but have your list arrive early, be prepared to ask your questions at the forefront of the visit. Don't spring things on us as we're walking out the door. Ask at the beginning, and that really leads to a much more successful visit. And then to my NP colleagues, you know, I was so scared about getting my doctorate. I didn't tell anyone other than the three people who wrote recommendations for me that I was going back for my doctorate. I didn't even tell people I applied to school. I was so scared I wouldn't get in. Finally, when I was close to graduating, I started telling people. But I will tell you that doctorate was the best thing I ever did. It didn't teach me how to be a better NP in terms of diabetes management and hypertension management. It taught me how to be a better researcher, a better writer, a better leader, a better healthcare policy advocate, how to be a better manager, quality improvement. Uh, and to me, it was a degree that was so timely for me because I was doing a lot of this. I just became better at it. I think it was the best thing I ever did. It's also opened a significant number of doors for me. And it puts me at the table because my favorite saying of all times is if you're not at the on the menu. And that degree has gotten me at the table so that I can then advocate on behalf of NPs across the nation. So Josh, thank you so much for reaching out to me. I'm so honored that you chose me. And I hope those folks who listen found um, a little piece of getting to know me a little bit better and can take one pearl away from this podcast today. Well, I, I, I certainly think folks will, will have some takeaways from the podcast. And I think in terms of folks who are interested in advancing their degrees, NPACE conferences are a fantastic place to find several colleges and universities that offer those opportunities. NPACE uh, has several partners and colleges and universities that attend our events as exhibitors that can give you more information. You can always send an email to npace at npace.org and we are happy to connect folks who may be interested in advancing their degrees with the folks that we know at several colleges and universities and that's all around the country um, so so please do reach out if you are somebody that's interested in that we are happy to connect folks in that regard and in terms of folks that are going to meet with their providers it's certainly a busy time of year with it uh, being flu season and kids back in school and, and all of those sorts of things so whether you're going for your primary care checkup or you're going in for a specialized visit or your your child may have had uh, an injury or is going in for some sort of orthopedic visit because they're they're playing football or soccer here in the fall um, have that list as wendy talked about and, and be ready and be prepared i think when you have those moments with your provider to discuss with them what's going on honesty is very very important in terms of letting them know we can't our providers can't help us if we don't give them the insight into what's going on so um 
you be it's okay to be vulnerable when you are with your healthcare provider and and let them know what's going on so that they can help you and that's what they're there for um and and wendy it's just it's been a tremendous conversation i can't thank you enough for taking time as i know you were traveling today to your next engagement um and and being able to jump on with us and talk a little bit about your history and everything that you've done so that will do it for this episode of the Friends of NPACE podcast. We can't thank everybody enough for tuning in, and we can't thank Wendy enough for her time today. Uh, as mentioned, Wendy has several courses on the NPACE Learning Center at learn.npace.org, and keep an eye on our conference schedules for 2024, as Wendy will certainly be uh speaking for many NPACE conferences throughout the course of next year and if you have interest you will be with us at our phoenix conference taking place november 9th through 12th at the beautiful wild horse pass sheraton in phoenix so thank you so much everybody this concludes the episode remember to rate subscribe leave a comment and review we will see you back here for the next episode of the friends of NPACE podcast thank you so much wendy have a fabulous rest of your day Bye, everyone.